seems appropriate for New Year resolution <laughs> time. And the therapist is saying to Humpty, Humpty, we have to get you to the place where you can fix yourself, <laughs> where you can put yourself back together again. So that's where we are. We're all Humpty Dumpties looking for the king's horses and king's man. But somebody called the Buddha said, no, it doesn't work. You have to do it yourself. You have to work out your own salvation, your own liberation through your own efforts, through your own practice. So here we are looking at our minds, these brains, these impulses and movements of heart and body, trying to make sense of it all. And one of the things that uh, helps sustain us, <coughs> the through lines, we have s certain through lines of our lives. If, we l if you look back at your life, you'll see there's certain threads, certain trajectories that you may have stumbled upon, you may have uh, been very resolute and clear about and followed a certain trajectory. or maybe multiple paths, multiple careers, multiple religions, multiple marriages. <laughs> so it's interesting to reflect how you got to be here. Like, how did you get here? How did you get to Spirit Rock in Marin County? I mean, how did I get here? I was a working class lad from Newcastle upon Tyne, Northern England, I ended up here with fairy lights. <laughs> <coughs> Can I say that that was because of an intention back way back when? I don't know. I know when I was a young man, I was at college and was very unhappy and suffering and angry and confused and was looking, really looking for some way to get out of uh, my own head and I discovered uh, a Buddhist center and meditation teachings, mindfulness practice, loving-kindness practice and I knew I'd stumble upon something that was very very momentous for me, for me in my life and it was definitely a path that I could trust that I knew it would give me some tools and resources and guidance and friendship uh, that would help navigate the turmoils of life, the confusions, the challenges. It doesn't solve the problems, but it gives one tools and techniques and methodologies and practices. And so for I can look back to that time and go, oh, that, that, was a th that was the beginning of a very long through line, of a thread that's still sustain, sustaining itself. The, the teachings and the practices of the Buddha, of these wisdom teachings, meditation practices, the principles in which to navigate the very complex challenges of, of living a life and being in relationship and dealing with work and all health issues. And So it's just interesting to reflect w w what, what consequences am I reaping the fruits of certain intentions and actions from the past? Because yeah. what we are today is the sum of our past actions, thoughts, intentions. So as you reflect on your life and how you got to be here today, what stands out for you? What, what drew you? What, what thread were you following? What intention have you followed for years or decades or most of your life? Are there any particular ones? Are there intentions you're still trying to uh, cultivate or let go of? So my, my intention for this year was, is, was, is to, um, <laughs> my 
blew it already. <laughs> How many people have blown their New Year's resolutions? Come on, come on. Put up the, put the hands up. <laughs> so my intention is to live uh, with a loving heart, to live with more kindness to myself, to others, to live with more generosity of heart. So I'll be following that for the next 45 years. I'm lucky if I get that long. So um, it's an interesting time of year. I, I, I usually lead uh, meditation courses over the new year, and I like I generally always gone away to somewhere quiet um, at, the, at the new year, either the solstice or the new year or both, as a way to you know to take stock. It's a really valuable time of year to do that, to reflect on what's past the endings and the beginnings and what wants to be brought in, what wants to be invited in, what intentions want to be cultivated. And there's, you know, there's a lot of hyper end resolutions and most resolutions fail because they're not, they don't generally come from that much depth. Or they point to the fact that human nature and, and, and the nature of the mind and habit is really hard to change. Anybody noticed? <laughs> Anybody try to bring in positive, wholesome intentions? And you find you're back exactly where you were, doing the same silly things that you promised you wouldn't do. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, or whatever it is that is not so helpful for you. Relationships, actions, self-talk. So, the Buddha talked a lot about intention because it's a very powerful force in the mind. The mind is a very powerful thing. When we gather our attention behind a single focus, which is an intention, it's a gathering of energy, of purpose, of thinking, to intend to orient towards a certain direction, a certain focus, a certain goal can have tremendous uh, power. I think about Gandhi and his simple life, but his powerful resolution. His, his resolution in the 20s was to, uh, when he came back from South Africa to India, was to uh, undermine and destabilize and overthrow the imperialist uh, domination of England which at the time was as powerful as America is or China's becoming, and was unthinkable that, that, that such a powerful nation-state could be overthrown. And he just stayed steady with his intention. And one of the things I love about his intention was he resolved every day, he would reflect on his intention and would uh, reflect whether there was any self-interest in any of his actions that were connected to that intention. And if there were, he wouldn't pursue that action. He made the intention to pursue that course of action that without self-interest. I think about, um, I'm not sure if I can remember his name. I might have his name in my notes. Um, anybody here read the book, Bury the Chains? Wonderful book about the ending of slavery uh, that started a movement in England back in the 1700s. Um, and uh, it's in interesting to see also how intentions arise. This particular gentleman was uh, riding on his horse from somewhere up north to London and had some interaction with the slave system, which was how the British Empire had become so dominant was the the sale and trading of slaves and the owning of development of plantations and Caribbean the trading of sugar and coffee and whatnot. And he also had this intention to uh, end slavery, which at the time is like it's like someone having the intention, I'm gonna end capitalism. It's like forget it. It's 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 how the world functions. Well at the time it's certainly for the British colonial Empire was how the system was built upon slavery. It was unthinkable that that could be 
undermined and overthrown. But he he gathered together some very committed friends, became the first uh, grassroots campaigner, grassroots activist, um, began campaigning around the country, giving lectures, civic halls and town squares and began the first um, leaflet uh, campaigns distributing literature, uh, rode his horse around the country, I think he did 70,000 miles in his lifetime campaigning and uh, eventually got various uh, members of parliament involved and, and it took maybe 40, 50 years but over time uh, galvanized enough public opinion to um, uh, make Parliament commit to ending formally the slave trade. So it's interesting to see these certain key figures in history and what can arise out of the power of intention, the power of a focused mind. And maybe you can see it from your own life or people you know, things that you've done that you've committed to, there's maybe stuck to single the single focus. But the kind of intentions I want to talk about tonight are, so, are not so grand. They're really the everyday intentions, the way that we orient. So the, the overarching view of Dharma practice is to orient away from actions and thinking and ways of behaving that cause suffering to ones that cause greater happiness, well-being, peace, kindness, compassion, love. So this is the kind of orientation, the, in, the inclination of the in, intention that the Buddha is speaking to. How do we shift the gravitational pull of our lives, which tend to be more towards uh, self-centeredness, fear, avoidance of threat, gaining what we want, to something that's bigger than that, something that's more other-regarding, that's more compassionate, that's for the welfare of all. So I want to read a story from one of my favorite books called How Can I Help? Anybody familiar with this book, How Can I Help? Wonderful book. If you're, if you're involved in the realm of service and compassion, um, compassion and activity, this is, I think, an indispensable Bible. So this is a story about a nurse who's working in the uh, neonatal intensive care unit. The children are beautiful here. You can't nurse them. You can't really nurse them without knowing them. And you can't know them, really know them, without seeing their beauty. What can be more beautiful than innocence? And that affects all their features, their tininess, their eyes, their fingers, the sound of their heart. Just their breath can move you with its beauty. Part of it seems to come from how fragile they are, how uncertain it is, how long they'll be here. The picture on the surface is terribly grim, a room full of these little ones, many of whom are right on the edge of life and death, some of whose faces and movements are pretty distressing. And then there's the parents. They're on the other side of the window, with desperate, stricken faces looking in. However, It was the use of machines and extraordinary medical measures that moved several of us to see how much distance we were putting between ourselves and the infants. Even if the machines weren't there, though, there was a tendency to keep it impersonal, to keep your distance, and you knew that wasn't any good for the children, for the children least of all. So here comes the intention. So a group of us began to talk about it, to open up to our feelings, and decide to be with the children more. And when it got too hard, we'd break down, support each other, and talk it over. The more we opened up, it just became natural that we began this new practice of holding infants when the time would come for them to die. It wasn't a decision as much as something we'd become ready to do. So at the end, we'd take them off the monitors and into our arms in a rocker, and we'd sit with them in their final moments. It tears you apart, because holding them, sometimes you can feel them go, and the death itself is different. On the machines, it's monitored as brain death. In your arms, it's the heart and the breath. It's so poignant. You feel 10 dozen things at once. Terrible sadness because you become attached to the child, but glad too because their suffering is about to end. Maybe anger at the world, at God, or whatever for allowing this to happen. 
and such empathy for the parents, and something like awe and wonder, like there must be some kind of explanation for all of this, which you don't yet understand. But patience, too, that things become more clear in time, and peace of mind, because you're doing the best you can, and humble to be present at such a moment, all of the above and often all at once. So I find that story very moving that these people are doing beautiful work and in the context of that work there's the sense of the the all too easy way that we can create separation because it's safer and the intention to move beyond that safety into a deeper connection which also involves more vulnerability, more pain, but also more love and connection. So, life is always presenting us with choices and the choice point of intention of how we respond, how we react, how we act with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions. So what, what's our guiding principle? What's, what's the compass bearing? How do we navigate through the ethical dilemmas, through the relationship challenges, through the moral quandaries we find ourselves in at work. We're making decisions from some place. We're making intentions from some place. And so part of mindfulness practice is about making that conscious. How do we choose? Where do we side from? Where do we gain that perspective? I'm going to read something from the Buddha. Again, speaking to this uh, overarching intention for shifting our lives towards that of of non-harming. He said, We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think, all that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world, speak or act with a wholesome, skillful mind, and happiness will follow you as unshakable as your shadow. All that we are arises with our thoughts. So I'm curious about intentions and resolutions. I want to go back to something I was talking about earlier. Um, I only saw saw one person raise their hand who said they hadn't followed their resolution. I'm not sure if that's totally true of the whole audience. I know there's people out there who... What makes you um, not follow your best intention? Habit? What kind of habit? Mindless. Mindless habit. Mindless habit makes you not follow your intention. So reactivity. Uh huh. What else? We all have. We all. I mean, we all have intentions, and we all have many, many good intentions, right? But we often don't follow them. Fear and wishing to be liked. Fear of. Mm-hmm. And I re- in a situation where I feel vulnerable, I might change that intention temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually because I want to be liked. Mm-hmm. I want to be accepted, so I'll clear off. And then I have, but my practice is to come back and try to prevail on that intention. Uh-huh. So the, 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 the comment is about, can we get a microphone? Can I get a volunteer to... to I know, I know. I well, yes. I'm sorry about that. Um, so the comment was about um, fear. One of the things that takes us off guard, and we needing to be liked, and changing one's actions in the course to get approval. Very common. Yeah. What else? 
What you, what takes you away from Dara? Down there. Doubt. Doubt? Yeah. Doubt about? Possible. Doubt if it's possible to follow through with those intentions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self-doubt, doubt about the intention itself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What gets in the way? The lady in the back with a hat waving. Oh, she's <laughs> swatting mosquitoes or something. Sometimes giving up something is something that you love so much, like chocolate uh-huh. or coffee. And so I struggle with that because on one hand, I know I need to give up something, but I also know that it's something that's very enjoyable. So in some way, it's a gift to myself to give it that mm. turns around and is destructive. Mm-hmm. Double edge. Yeah. So the, the razor's edge of sense desire, chocolate, coffee, or whatever you're favorite. Uh, For some it's medicine, for some it's curse, and we can torture ourselves with uh, finding the middle way with whatever it is. It might be wine for some of you, it might be sex for some of you, it might be, who knows, how to stay in balance with our intention. Yes. I'm just trying to think. Um, I think sometimes. Speak, speak directly into it, like a lollipop. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes I think that um, I, even if I have an intention or a resolution to change or stop something, I think that sometimes I can't just because I don't really understand quite yet how, like. Uh, what it means to me or mm-hmm. like I think it's sometimes easy to have this conscious thought but not have the emotional understanding behind it to really mm-hmm. follow through or yeah 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 or the unconscious also mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really good point that we you know that's why we break resolutions because the yeah I'll take the mic for now thanks <coughs> we have good ideas um, but they come from a very uh, undeveloped part of our being that we haven't fully grokked its, its significance. We have it's not it's not comes from a deeper emotional place, but more from a nice idea. I know that's was true for me with a lot of New Year's resolutions. We're not that thought out, not that processed, and we mostly act from the emotional centers, not our thought centers. Nothing, emotional centers are much deeper drivers, motivators. So it speaks to the need for being for a certain kind of integration, uh, wholeness of our being as we intend, and the the divergent parts of us that we're trying to corral with our intention, with our practice, <coughs> and why it's challenging because we have conflicting needs. Well, I like the taste of chocolate, but I feel sick when I have a whole pound. And I love coffee, but I feel jittery when I drink it. And I crash in the afternoon, but I love the taste of it. One of the things I like to think about is, um, is whether we have faith in ourselves to follow through. Whether we trust ourselves, or whether we believe that we can, or whether we have confidence in ourselves. There's a, there's a lovely line from the Buddha where he says, if I didn't ask you to do this practice, if it wasn't possible, I wouldn't ask you to do this practice. So to, be, to reflect on how much confidence there is behind our own volitions, our own intentions. Do we trust ourselves to follow through? Do we undermine ourselves? Do we self-sabotage ourselves? And of course, with intention, which is different than goals, um, we also have to 
practice letting go. We set an intention which is like setting a compass bearing, a compass direction in a boat. And of course we inevitably get blown off course. Storms, winds, currents. And that's part of the point. I have a coaching practice where I give people intentions and practices knowing that they're going to fail. Because if they weren't going to fail, they wouldn't need me in the first place. They'd just go do it. (laughs) So the point is to create the conditions I don't want failure to happen, but it's inevitable with certain intentions and projects, goals. And then we get to see, well, what's getting in the way? What's hampering the effectiveness? Where's the self-sabotage happening? Where's the lack of self-belief? Where's the clarity or the necessary tools in order to implement? So we practice holding an intention, and many Buddhist teachings and qualities and intentions are very noble to awaken, to be free, to live with compassion, with <laughs> kindness, with insight, with wisdom. These are very noble, beautiful intentions. And they're also really hard because we're human and we have needs and we have fears and anxieties and we want people to like us and we're tired and we just want to have coffee and chocolate. <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> there, it's available, tastes good. So it takes, you know, many, uh, you know, when so many of the Buddha teachings, it comes, they come in lists, like the ten perfections, or the seven factors of awakening. Different qualities are are needed to support each other, like perseverance, determination, energy, faith, (coughs) different qualities to, to manifest an intention. I think about the, the, the intention to, to manifest Spirit Rock that Jack and James Baraz and many other people had. You know, it took years and years of thinking and planning and effort and hiring people and st- wonderful staff to implement the vision and the board and teachers and, and a huge collective effort to, for, for Spirit Rock to be what it is. And huge hurdles and challenges along the way. It's part of the process. Roadblocks. So how forgiving are you with when you when you when you don't achieve your intentions? What cap- what's what capacity is there for space for uh, either forgiveness or for picking up and starting again? So it's easy to set intentions. It's hard to follow through. Hard to pick up and start again, and start again, start again how to keep letting go and starting again. And then to reflect, well, how realistic are your intentions? Are you the kind of person that sets impossibly high intentions? That you're doomed to fail and it's a setup for the judge to have a field day, the critic to get on your case? Or are you afraid of failure and don't set any intentions at all? Where do you fall on the spectrum? This is from Adi Ashanti, who's more pointing to the, the idea of intentions as, uh, rather than the sense of doing, more an orienting towards being, as Lao Tzu often talked about, the most important thing to do is to be. So do your intentions take you away from yourself or back to yourself? I like to think of practice, and the intention of practice is to bring us home, bring us home to ourselves. Right? And most of our lives are busy taking us away from ourselves, running, distracting. I just came back from Mexico late last night and uh, I was walking through the airport in Denver and uh, I couldn't notice how driven people seemed compared to Mexico, where um, it's just a different, I'm not saying that people aren't driven in Mexico either, but there's a different quality of life and a different value system. And um, people looked really stressed and tired. Of course, it was Denver Airport at 8 o'clock at night. But, um, but I think about the, the collective intention that's part, of a, that's part of a culture or country and how much we're also part of that. 
One of my favorite intentions is a Spanish proverb that goes, um, it is beautiful to do nothing and then rest afterwards. (laughs) This is the country that invented the siesta. It's beautiful to do nothing then rest afterwards. I think we could all do with having that intention as part of our practice. A Sabbath, to have a Sabbath once a week, where we rest, where we switch off the machine of doing, of becoming, getting ahead, being somebody, getting somewhere. That's what I saw in the airport, a lot of leaning forwards, people toppling forwards, and maybe they were late for their departure, but the sense of hmm, tension in the grasping to get ahead and suffering as a consequence. So this is from Adyashanti. He says, whatever you want, be it. Whatever you want, be it. If you want connectedness, be the connectedness. And it will start to happen all around you. Whatever you want, be it. If you want love, be love. And you will have more love than you know what to do with. Whatever you are inside, you receive a thousandfold on the outside. So it reminds me of a D.H. Lawrence quote. Those who, those who seek love never find love. Only the loving find love, and they never have to seek for it. So, so there's, the in, so there's the, this... Mm, aspect of being the intention versus doing the intention, or becoming the intention. What would, it be, what, do, what would it be to be that which you are seeking? So one of the problems with intention is it presupposes that something isn't here and it's outside of us that we have to acquire. And that's part of our acquisitive consciousness, you could say. So how many people want to be peaceful? How many people would that be an intention to be more peaceful? Yeah. So how do you do being more peaceful? <laughs> how do you get more peace? Right? How do you buy more peace? Right? You can't do it, you can't get it, you can't it's not outside of you. It's an internal orientation. It's a very subtle shift to realize, oh, it's actually already here. And it's, it's masked, it's over, overridden by various states of mind and ideas and beliefs and habits. Where is peace other than right here? So perhaps when we, when we call to mind an intention we think more about what's obscuring it than having to get it or find it or acquire it somewhere. Does anybody here want to be happy? (laughs) Part of anybody's intention? I want to be more happy this year. Dear Santa, I want lots of happiness, please. Where are you? Only January 6th, I've got 348 days to Christmas. Well, if, in, if the intention is to be more happy, sounds like an odd intention, but it could be an intention. It's, I mean, it's certainly an aspiration. We all wish to be happy, happier. That's why we're here. That's why we do most things, work, relationships, activity. Meditate, right? We were looking for happiness. So to be curious about, well, what is actually getting in the way of happiness? Happiness is potentially always available right here. It's not anywhere else. It's not in somebody else. It's not in something. The capacity for happiness lies in our own mind and heart and awareness. Right here, always. But there are many things that obscure that basic, innate well-being. 
So right now, is there anything interfering with your happiness? Aside from my talk. <laughs> if you look to your present moment experience, right now, you look to your exact, just what's happening in this moment. Right? Sitting, sensing, breathing, hearing, thinking, imagining. Is there anything interfering with your happiness? If you don't go to the mind, to your mind, to the past, So I'd like to read this piece by Billy Mills. I read this here not so long ago, but it feels like it's a apropos for this talk. Billy Mills is a Native American, was a Native American athlete um, who won a, was the first Native American to win an Olympic medal. And because of the racism and the culture at the time was not given public acknowledgement when he came back home and it was very uh, personally challenging for him, as you can imagine, and uh, he wrote this piece at some point later in his life, and it, and it really speaks to the, 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 the capacity, the, ne- the necessity for letting go as part of our intention to both, which is really a paradox. How do we hold a very strong, firm aspiration and goal and intention, and at the same time to be not so attached to the outcome, well, the understanding arises out of wisdom because we know, if we, really, if we really understand the way things are, we know that outcomes aren't up to us. We can do all we can, apply the effort and intention, the work, the effort that it takes to achieve something, but life is much bigger than this, circumstances are bigger than this, economies and politics and many, many forces of nature so much bigger than us that we often have to let go, no matter how clear and purposeful our intention, as Billy Mills had to do. I was given poverty that I might find my inner strength. I asked for fame so others would know me, but I was given obscurity that I might know myself. I was given a life of a hermit. Sorry, I asked for a person to love that I might never be alone but I was given the life of a hermit that I might learn to accept myself. I asked for power that I might achieve, but I was given weakness that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might lead a long life. I was given infirmity that I might appreciate each minute. I asked Mother Earth for strength. I asked Mother Earth for strength that I might have my own way. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for her. I asked to live happily that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might live happily. I received nothing yet. I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true. I am richly blessed more than I ever hoped. This is um, a prayer from the Dalai Lama called A Precious Human Life. I often reflect on this as part of my own intentional practice. Every day, think as you wake up. Today, I'm fortunate to have woken up. I am alive. I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve awakening for the benefit of all and have kind thoughts towards others. I'm going to benefit others as much as I can in this life. Every day, think as you wake up. I am fortunate to have woken up. I am alive. I have a precious human life. So it reminds me of that Mary Oliver poem, uh, Summer's Day, I think it is. 
What do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? The journey. Is it? Okay, it's the journey. It's from the poem, The Journey. That's no, not. <laughs> I always say, no, it's not. It's from Summer's Day. <laughs> Anyhow, who cares where it's from? It's from Mary Oliver. It's a beautiful poem. They're all great poems. <laughs> what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So another important aspect of intention, and I won't go into this too long because we've oh, been talking for a long time, but um, hello. <laughs> Can you give the rest of the talk? No, no, that's good. <laughs> so the other piece that I haven't mentioned around intention is uh, how we get to choose or decide or move on the impulse in every moment. So we've been talk- I've been talking more about the bigger intentions and orientations in our lives. But we can also see this moment to moment. And just now as you're sitting, did anybody get itchy during the sit? Did, 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 did my prayer come true? Yeah. Yeah? yeah? You all got itchy? That's great. And what happened? Did you, f- did you notice the impulse? Yeah? yeah? Mm-hmm. Did you scratch? No? Yes? You thought about it? So it didn't make a difference? Yeah? What was the difference? Didn't have to scratch as much. Why was that? Aha, you stayed with it long enough so it lessened. So the point of that is not to make you suffer with itchiness, but to see that, you know, in every moment, something's happening, and we're usually just instinctively responding. And if it's unpleasant, if it's painful, difficult, itchy, boring, we'll, we'll react. Right? So mindfulness is creating a space, a little room, little, what they call in psychology, response reflect flexibility, where there's a pause, there's an there's a, there's a t- opportunity for freedom, an opportunity to go, oh, I don't need to be so instinctually <coughs> reactive. I have a choice here. Oh, and it, let me let's see what let's see what's like when I have an itch. Oh, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable and squirmy and annoying, and it feels like ants. And and oh, look at that! It goes away. Wow, hallelujah! I didn't even scratch it. Oh, and there's another one. I can do the same. Right? So it's just a great metaphor for how we use mindfulness to see that there's possibility for choice. There's space. There's more space than we realize. There's more freedom than we realize. And it's a moment-by-moment process. And we often think, and I hear this a lot, and I see this in, 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 pe- in the way people practice and aspirations of wanting to get somewhere in meditation, in spiritual practice, in awakening, that's sort of like where you're just kind of done with your work. Like you just, it's just like finished. Like you just like, you, know, you work hard and you do a lot of practice stuff and then, and then you retire, right. It's like enough, over, I'm done with all that hard work. Good luck. And I was working with somebody today, a student in my office and um, he has particularly intense body sensations and kundalini and um, very powerful energies and um, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant. And he said, you know, is it ever going to stop? I said, yeah, well, the kundalini energy might stop, but you're in a human body and the impulses and reactions and sicknesses and, you know, that's not going to stop. We're always going to have to make some kind of effort to show up, to meet our experience with kindness, with compassion, with awareness. There's no enlightened retirement. I don't know anybody who's there in, in the enlightenment retirement home. You know, we all, we've, we've all got our work to do. You know? And at times we have places of ease, and you know, and with practice we get more spacious, and there's more clarity, and there's less reactivity, and, it's all, and then we still have our work. Right? Pain does not cease. Suffering might lessen. Pain will keep arising. So what's our intention in the midst of that? Or can I keep my heart open? Can I be patient? Can I be kind to myself? Can I be kind to my humanness? 
for the struggle of just being in a body, of being in a relationship that's always uncertain. Anybody in a certain relationship that's really like guaranteed certain? Anybody in one of those? I haven't found one of those yet. No, they're unstable, they're beautiful and delicious and loving and kind and committed, and they're uncertain. Everything's uncertain. Have you found any certainty, anybody, anywhere? No. So mostly, you know, my, my, coming back to my own intention, it's really w- what I teach about is how do, be, how do we be kind with this? So we, when we set intentions, how do we make them human, realistic, doable, aspirational, but also realizable? I'm going to close with a couple of things. One, uh, some words from Viktor Frankl. We who lived in the concentration camps can remember the man who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away the last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way, to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances. So really I think of this as the practice of intention. We're choosing through presence, through awareness, to choose our response, to choose our intention through the vicissitudes of our lives, through the challenges, the ups and the downs. And it can be moment to moment. And it can also be an intention like I talked about when I was 19, I first started practicing meditation. Oh, this, this, is, this is a through line. This is going to carry me through a lot of ups and downs. And we have uh, small intentions, moment to moment intentions. And then we might have our vast aspirational intentions. So the beautiful ideal in Buddhist practice, particularly developed in the Mahayana latest schools of Buddhism, schools of the the tradition of the Bodhisattva, one who has a vast intention, like these figures here. This is Avalokiteshvara, the quintessence of compassion. In the same way that the Buddha taught out of compassion to relieve the suffering of others. Our vow, our intention may be vast. Our intention may not just be for my own happiness and welfare, but may extend to others, may extend to all life. What would it be to have a vision like the Dalai Lama, whose life is really, as you can see, really obviously dedicated to relieving the suffering, not just Tibetan people, but anybody he meets. Beautiful example of someone who lives with the intention to free suffering uh, wherever he goes. So I'm going to close with the um, Bodhisattva vows, uh, which are chanted by millions of people all over the world. And they may seem incomprehensibly vast, And that's partly the point, is to blow the mind out beyond its normal narrow confines, to see that we have a a potential way bigger than than we might even know for ourselves. However innumerable sentient beings are, I vow to save them all. However inexhaustible the defilements and confusion are, I vow to extinguish them. However immeasurable the dharmas are, the teachings of wisdom, I vow to master them all. However incomparable enlightenment is, I vow to attain it. So this may seem impossibly, incredibly lofty and vast, and maybe for some of you even ridiculous, but it speaks to the, 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 the part of the heart that aspires for a life that's bigger than just our small, narrow confines. And we all have that Impulse, whether it's to help, to be kind, to be caring to the person in front of us, or to a whole swathe of people.
So enough words for this evening. I want to thank you for your attention. And um, let's just take a moment just to drop inside and just to reflect. So I've talked a lot about intentions, aspirations. Just take a moment before you leave. As you listen to these words. I'm actually going to speak some words from a poem. What in your life is calling you when all the noise is silenced, the meetings adjourned, the lists laid aside, and the wild iris blooms by itself? What still pulls on your soul? In the silence between your heartbeats, lies a summons. Name it if you must or leave it forever nameless. But why pretend it is not there? So noticing if there's any summons, any call, any intention, any aspiration for yourself, for your community, for life. What small aspiration is doable for you? That's practical, that's realizable. What is one that would cause you to stretch, to grow a little? Take you outside your comfort zone. So thank you again for your attention. I did want to mention one thing. I have a retreat. Some people have been asking me tonight. I have a retreat coming up in Baja, Mexico in March. It's a kayaking and meditation silent retreat for a week. It's a beautiful place to practice. I'll be teaching that March 10th to the 16th, no, uh, 23rd to the 29th of March. You can find out some information about that on my website, awakeinthewild.com. Lovely to see you all, and I will see you in a few weeks. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.